Welcome back to the Brooklyn Poets Yopcast for September 12th, 2016, featuring yours truly, Jason Koo, Executive Director of Brooklyn Poets, leading the workshop and kicking off the open mic. The Brooklyn Poets Yop is held on the second Monday of every month at 61 Local in Cobble Hill. That's at 61 Bergen Street, off the Smith Street FG stop. For more information about the Brooklyn Poets Yop, go to brooklynpoets.org. This month's open mic lineup featured Timothy Wojcik, Julia Knobloch, Jade Jurgensen, Derek Hawkins, Jessica Powers, Anna Lindwasser, Judy Schneier, Alan Braverman, Tamara Lee, Arthur Russell, Lauren Paris, Richard Fine, Emily Blair, Bill Livingston, Connor Crawford, Ricardo Hernandez, Julie Hart, Candy Wolf, Nawal Maradovich, and Laura Plaster. So, I'm excited to hear these poets. Let's get right to the Brooklyn Poets Yop open mic. Welcome back. How's everyone doing? So, we are very uh, excited to have a representative, in fact, the co producer of the Brooklyn Book Festival. That's quite uh, a huge production that she's involved in. It's quite an honor to have her here. Uh, Liz is here, she's going to say a few words about the festival and encourage you to take one of the brochures. Thank you. And it was such a pleasure to actually walk in here tonight to see what an incredible crowd is here. And um, tonight is the kickoff for the whole festival week. These events that are happening tonight are kind of setting the mood for the entire week, um, which will conclude on Saturday and Sunday. September 18th, this Sunday is our big festival in downtown Brooklyn, at Borough Hall, at Brooklyn Law School, at St. Francis College. The programs are out and about in the world. They're also on the website, um, so you can check there as well. But have a wonderful evening. That's all I wanted to say. Come out on Sunday. If you know kids and have kids, or you know your neighbor down the street has kids, we have a wonderful children's day on Saturday. So invite your friends and family to that as well. Have a great evening, and thank you, Jason. Thank you. All right, so I don't know about you, but I am excited about the festival this Sunday. So I'm going to put all those t-shirts in my car and drive from Williamsburg to Brooklyn Heights. I used to live in Brooklyn Heights, it was nice. I could just walk down the street. Uh, those were the days. But now I'm in a super hip neighborhood with better cocktails. So, uh, yay for me. Um, that was a really bad joke. This is the Brooklyn Yop open mic. If you haven't been here before, you get three minutes on the mic. I really want you to pay attention to that three minutes. Give or take a few, you might go over a little bit, that's fine. You might go under, that's exceptionally good, especially if people on the wait list. But please try to stick to your time because, as you can see, it's a packed house. We only have room for about 20 readers. I try to get through every time. we got to be out of here by like 9.20, 9.30 at the latest. Uh, so please try to stick to your time. Um, other announcements. We do record the Book and Both Yop open mic every month. Please come in. Uh, there are seats here. It makes me anxious if you're standing. 
Please, seriously. Now is the time to come in because once we start, you're gonna feel even more intimidated. Uh, there's empty seats next to this uh, very friendly gentleman. I think. <laughs> there's, there's another free seat over here. Uh, we do record the Yop every mic, uh, every mic, every month. It is called the Yopcast. Uh, if you don't want to be recorded, you should let me know because then I can edit you out. There's really uh, no problem doing that. Just a little more of my precious time spent erasing you from the recording uh, as surgically as possible. But it's certainly your right not to be heard on the recording. Uh, just let me know afterwards if you can talk to me uh, in person or by email. Also, every month we vote, as you know if you've been here before, for Poem of the Month. It's a great honor. Uh, you are voted Poem of the Month by your peers at the Yacht. It is done by audience vote and uh, by text message. What's funny is like I'm on my family plan and I've just been like data in the shit out of my phone. So I just got some angry texts from my mom before the event. She's like, your phone bill is $230, dude. Call me. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm not really sure how to explain that, except uh, watching Major League Baseball on my phone. <laughs> Probably didn't help. But uh, you vote for Poem of the Month by texting me. This is the number if you don't have it. And yes, I am giving you my own cell phone number, so please don't text me at 4 in the morning unless you want to give me money or like a Nobel Prize. Uh, this is the number to vote for Poem of the Month, 718-374-1953. I feel like a tone marker. Once again, that's 718-374-1953. When you all die, you're going to have this number. <laughs> you know, back here, mine is going to be muttering this number to your friends and family as they convene around you. 718-374-1953. Totally egotistical. I've woven my own name and number into your narratives. Uh, but we'll see. <laughs> One of you, at least one of you in this room is going to be like, God damn, he was right. And I'm, here I am dying. <laughs> There's his number. I have no idea what. 718 You can just tell me the name of the poet. Uh, try to remember someone's name, uh, the name of the poem. You might have to describe them. Use a good metaphor. Uh, if you win Poem of the Month, you get free admission to a future yacht. And more importantly, you get to compete in our Poem of the Year Smackdown in December where you take home all the marbles. All 12 winners of Poem of the Month go head to head, and it's amazing. Last year's winner is in the audience, where is he? Arthur Russell, the very serious man of the white shirt. Don't fuck with him. He won Poem of the Month last year. Sorry, Poem of the Year last year, he won. Uh, wow, a lot of announcements. Uh, I wanted to make one special announcement about the Book Book Festival. Because it is the festival this weekend, we are actually extending the early registration deadline for our fall workshops, which ended yesterday. I am, this is the power I have. I am personally extending that discount until this Sunday, the Book Book Festival. So September 18th is the last day you can register early for our workshops and get a $15 discount if you are a new student. Of course, if you're a returning student, you get the discount all the time. And if you are a member, you get a $25 discount. And you are my personal friend. I think that's about it. Right. Anyone Parker. who won Poem of the Month before is not eligible to win Poem of True. the Month today. True, but, but so I, like, every time Jason I say that, I just feel discouraged myself. I don't want to discourage you from voting for people, but that is true. If you have won Poem of the Month this year, you can't actually win it twice. Raise your hand if you won Poem of the Month so people know who you are. Fire, <laughs> Bill. Did Emily, you win, Emily? Yeah, Emily's like, no, I want another vote. You are free to vote for whoever you want, right? It might be a more accurate vote if you just vote for whoever you want, uh, but you might, you know, in a way you're wasting your votes, so you might save it for someone that hasn't won before. 
Okay, so now after I've done all of that talking, I am going to, since I taught the damn workshop, I'm going to be leading the open mic, which is what we do. Our teacher usually leads the open mic. So here I am. This is like, I do all this work, and I'm just like, okay, now, God, I have to read a poem. And like, the poem feels like work. <laughs> Everything else is odd, right? It's like a working weird reverse consciousness. It's so nice of you to say a working poet. Working poet means, uh, I don't know, it's like being in my pajamas all day, <laughs> eating leftovers, watching Cleveland sports. So, if you know me, you know <laughs> this has been a good year because Cleveland won a title. So, a long time ago, uh, before I wrote my first book, with my first book, Man on Extreme Small Island, I wrote, I wrote a poem about uh, the Cleveland Indians losing Game 7 of the World Series. If you know anything about Cleveland sports, you know until this year we didn't win shit. Not only did we not win, we like lost spectacularly badly, uh, and I'm pretty sure that's what makes you a poet if you follow the Cleveland sports team. So if you don't know, in 1997, the Cleveland Indians took a 2-1 lead into the ninth inning against the Florida fucking Marlins and got one out. In fact, they got a second out while they still had the lead, and then that out was a sack fly and tied the game to two, and they lost the game in the 11th inning. So, but now, of course, it's all better. This poem is called How to Watch Your Team Lose Game 7 of the World Series. You can't. And because you can't, make sure to watch the game alone. A sports bar filled with frat boys is not a good idea. What you need is a cave. No, what you need is a space shuttle. So you can set the TV up in the cargo bay and bounce back and forth while the bad thing begins to happen. <laughs> when your closer gives up a leadoff single in the bottom of the ninth that turns into a hit and run, then runs on first and third, one out, your team teeteringly up two to one. You can throw all kinds of heavy machinery into space, like oxygen tanks or bits of satellite, without feeling guilty about smashing up the inside of a sports bar or paranoid about any snickering going on behind you. When a catastrophic thing happens, you can throw yourself into space. The catastrophic thing will happen, only it will take time. It is in the nature of catastrophic things to strike, not when you most expect them to, but just after. So do not give in to hope. Hope will be the ruin of you, and you are already a ruin. Back as far away from the TV as possible. This will make the game seem as if it were taking place in a distant foreign land, like Japan or Korea. And even if the relief is only temporary, the catastrophe, when it occurs, will take longer to reach you. You may notice a paradox, yourself wishing for the catastrophe. Put me out of my misery, you say. I can't take it anymore. And yet, you can take it anymore. Because no matter how miserable you get, it is always better to be inside the game than out. Even when the number nine hitter lines a sack fly to right to tie the game at two, and you feel your lungs fall into your stomach. Or when the double playgrounder goes off your second baseman's glove to put a runner on third in the 11th, and you know this is the beginning of the end. Or when the tiny shortstop reaches out for the low slider and flicks it past your pitcher's glove to send a winning run home, and you feel something twitch inside you, like a needle skipping on a record. 
This is better than the post-game show. When you have to watch the opposing team's manager growling triumphantly to his wife behind the backstop, and sit through the celebration of 67,000 fans whose conception of suffering in baseball is seeing neither team score for three innings. Your psyche is setting into place like a broken bone. You can feel your future being routed away from happiness like ocean air into beige Midwestern office cubicles. Every handshake, smile, and kiss from now on containing a little sag in it, a percentage of oof. And these people are celebrating. A spectacle you can only endure because the post-game show, horrible as it is, is better than the post-post-game show, <laughs> which will find you suffocating not only in the emptiness of a dead season, but a whole childhood of longing unfulfilled. All the hours spent unlocking box scores at the kitchen table, all the nights spent listening to West Coast games on the radio as you fell asleep. Remember the radio? All the endless winter afternoons spent sitting at the foot of your bed, studying the backs of baseball cards, the players you didn't know, the Bill Pakotas and Jaime Coconauers, piecing together their seasons, their ascent through minor league towns, Fort Myers, Jacksonville, Memphis, Omaha, all the losses, so many losses endured, the pitching changes, errors, runners left on base. And then this, to see your team up by a run with two outs to go, to get a glimpse of another life, <laughs> and to sit there powerless as this life is slowly siphoned away from you and replaced with the one you already have. <laughs> the one your whole life has been preparing you for. Thank you. I like how you were all laughing during the most painful parts of the film. And I was like, that kind of moves from funny to very sad. And like, the reaction was the opposite. <laughs> It's like, oh, it's sad in the beginning, and then it's super funny at the end. Uh, great. Our first reader, God help me if I can't remember his name, how to pronounce it. Wojcik, right? Wojcik. Rhymes with Wojcik. I'm going to have a class where you train guys every fucking month, I forget. First reader tonight, great poet, give it up for Timothy Wojcik. This is called Happiness or the Purpose of Sleep. In a dream, there is me and you, and another version of you, just slightly larger and more robust. There is a chair in the middle of a square room, and a hole in the floor right in front of it, and some mice and some scissors scattered about, thick dust coating everything. When you sit in the chair, you can look down into the hole. So dark, it seems more like a puddle of liquid. There are no visible doors, nor visible windows. A faint glow emanating from a hole in the ceiling, the exact shape and size, and right above the hole in the floor. Without warning, 
the hardier version of you begins pirouetting, spinning faster and faster, singing random notes, kicking mice left and right, then suddenly leaps into the air and dives headfirst into the hole. The regular you sits in the chair and peers in and says, isn't that something? And would you look at that? And how funny? And then tips forward. After you go and the chair goes, the mice follow, and I scoot the scissors over the edge, and finally I also hop into the hole. There is no real reason we need sleep, other than to prepare us to one day watch a larger and more vibrant version of ourselves disappear into a hole in the floor and then to follow. Wojcik. Uh, by the way, thanks for coming. It's a great audience. I can't remember ever seeing people sitting on the floor at 61 Local, so uh, I'm sure they're all here to see you, Ricky. So uh, that's, congratulations. Uh, and by the way, there are free cookies that Phil Sohn brought. Where's Phil? Give it up for Phil. He brought free cookies. Right uh, from the Fortunato Brothers, which is uh, near me. I've never gone, but I've always been curious about the Fortunato But Apparently, they're famous for their cookies, so uh, grab a cookie on the way out. Our next reader is Julia Nabla. Give it up for Julia. Feet. 
Forget about the house that's still not built and won't be before this fall, and maybe never. Pay no heed to the lame chorus, hailing low electric bills and pumpkin spies. Take it all in, freedom and responsibility. You're in charge now. Julia, word about sign up. If you haven't been here before, you do have to sign up for the Yop Open Mic, and I recommend doing that as early as possible. The lineup fills within about a week and a half, usually. So, again, we have spots for about 20. If you're on the wait list, we'll try to get to you, but uh, there's over 40 people on the wait list, so do the math. Our next poet is Jay Jurgensen. Give it up for Jay. Soon, come taste the sauce, he'll get you off. And I'm loving it. New chicken Caesar. ADHD, adults can have it too. <laughs> Sick of the same old love, look out for danger of men working above in the designated activity zone. Beware of the service advisory for those out of service, not in service, because all trains are on the center platform. Sign up to be a poll worker. <laughs> Mocha choca latte ya ya. Oh, come on. Mocha Latte Yaya. No, Yaya. No. Come on. A four-letter word for intercourse. Talk. That was the most failed call and response ever. I'm like, wait until what you were talking about. Uh, nice and gentle. Next up is Derek Hawkins. Give it up for Derek. Thanks, you. Uh, there's definitely not a company 
This one's called Sharing an Apartment with Anne Bradstreet. If you don't know who Anne Bradstreet is, she's one of the first American authors. It's nothing more than ink bleeding through, and you, time and time again, turn over my pages to examine what they mean. Within my cursory scribble, there is an incomplete line, a forgotten thought, who is now face down and reborn, searching through the lilac fields for answers. Sometimes, I leave reminders on the refrigerator and come home the love letters for the eggs, eulogies for the chicken breasts thawing inside. If I give to you a pen stroke, you may take from me the miles of prosody while I am left to my devices hiding musings on bits of receipts to keep my thoughts secure. But I know you will weave in a metaphor when you see that I have bought shampoo, razors, and the newest issue of GQ. So goodbye, lost letters, farewell, adieu, but I am content if they are with you. And this one's called Summer's Over, or don't eavesdrop on your friends' text messages. <laughs> so maybe you shocked me when I heard those words. For three months, you ate me out, drank my liquor, smoked me stupid, and met my parents. So there were others, other bits of string, like me, formed into knots, weaved in the living tissue you wiped yourself clean with. It was supposed to rain that weekend, but you didn't notice how bright these silk sheets glistening were while your eyes were closed. Who's making you come under my covers anyways? I'll be honest with you, I'm not hurt, only disappointed under a visage of potential, now just the distant ringing. Give me my moment, just give me the fall. Take it slow, keep me on your mind, stay friends. I'll call you in the morning. Keep the condoms by your nightstand, I'll be back for those. Thank you. Good ending. I was imagining uh, Arnold saying that. <laughs> uh, I was only funny myself. I'll treat that for those articles. It's funny when I do invitations. It's terrible. Our next reader is uh, someone, you know, my sister, right? Anyway, I think she knows my little sister. Give <laughs> for Jessica Powers. Actually, the problem. I just think she's not very. Capable. 
communications. Mm. When she arrived, she got mad when I mentioned the toilet down the hall. I knew how she liked to pee in paper cups in the night so she wouldn't rouse herself, so she could sleep better. She told me that I'm heartless. Thank you, Jessica. Our next poet, you know her as a failed teacher. You prefer Anna Lindwasser.
You hated it when your mother complained about her second husband. She exploded family for him. Dishes careened through Englewood. Low-mannered people screamed curses. Children caught in crossfire. Englewood still exploded. Shards of plates soared in years in space. Pin you, spin you. That old Englewood friction strikes sparks in our kitchen. How? You blow us sky high. Twirling in the air, my tongue sharpens to a point. Our kids get an earful about you. Stuck in their skull, sharp words scrape safety off their brains. Their crash is coming. And you, have you landed? Where? That's your voice. Are those complaints I hear? Oh, Englewood's still exploding. But now, our kids live there. Thank you. Was that you out there? I like that. Thank you. Thank you. Damn. All right. Our next poet uh, has been growing his beard for the last 30 years to look like me. Give it up for Alan Pray for Ben. generators, comfortable chairs, nervous posteriors, anxious torsos, eyes scanning lines of poetry, desperate for muses, until called to the podium with pages of prose or verse. <laughs> the next one, I'm not a, uh, I'm a post-millennial. <laughs> <laughs> about the myriad of doctors in my medical universe. It's called medical practitioners. <laughs> the urologist, the hand of God reaching into the rectal chasm and searching for the enlarged prostate. The cardiologist in his test for stress, a machine-generated journey, treading lightly on a mill, a thallium drip coursing through my bloodstream, this rare soft white metallic element racing towards the heart of the matter as a computer monitors my fate. The, orth the orthopedist, being radioactive, naked to the bone, the personal becomes public, pictures for a Halloween display, the femur and hip under an arthritic assault. The ear and nose uh, and throat doctor, fo focusing on the ear, placed in an isolation, no waterboarding, just earphones and a button to check when the sounds of silence are interrupted by monotonous beeps as you wade in solitary, seeing if you're deaf to the world. <laughs> the neurologist, 
Am I in the right hemisphere with a synopsis of how my cerebral cortex is trapping memory, hoping the, neur the neurons are current and impulsive? <laughs> the hand surgeon, eight digits separated but equal opposing thumbs, cords of strong tissue attaching muscle to bone. These tendons can stretch. Fingers limp like an aging penis. <laughs> the dentist, black cuspids, molars, incisors, ready for action, chop and grind. The 32 enameled are rooted in canals with cavities storing once edible treasures, plants, these miniature shafts now encased in silver. The podiatrists, athletes speak that couldn't qualify for the 2016 Olympics. <laughs> Clothes in cotton socks, fungal invaders hiding between the toes, and yellow and cracked nails, only dreaming of being in designer sandals or barefooted, strutting down the catwalk. <laughs> the dermatologist, the dermatologist, <laughs> your epidermis is showing, unclothed, pores liberated as sweat cools, yet discomforting to others, pimples and beauty marks transform as signposts uprooted for the pathologist. Two more. The gastroenterologist, 24 hours of pills and fluid until your intestines release the fecal magma flowing through the alimentary canal. With the anus as the final exit, ready for the colonoscopy as an elongated probe searching the polyps until you awake and feel violated. <laughs> the last one, the uh, ophthalmologist, cushion chair, this is personal, cushion chair, cushion <laughs> <laughs> chair and multiple lenses, and the retired teacher reading the alphabet then among dilated pupils, a visual passage to an inner suspension room among macular degenerates. Uh, I don't know what to say, Alan. I think uh, my night stopped after fecal magma. <laughs> I think your uh, myriad of medical doctors need to get together with that mitochondrial motion. Uh, we'll really have something. Uh, next up is uh, Tamara Lee. Give it up for Tamara. participation bracket, which I love, but I still fail at it. Number one, leave work with no time to spare. Number two, take a broken F train. Number three, get here with only 15 minutes left in the workshop. Uh, number four, sign up every single month, one day before YAP. Number five, never make the list, like Jason says. Uh, number six, finally remember to sign up on time. Get on the list and have nothing prepared to read. Sorry. <laughs> Number seven, be really nervous, which I am, uh, but this is maybe a better. Number eight, show up anyway. Number nine, here goes nothing. Okay, so this is my work in progress. 
um, is called The Dirty Old Men in My Neighborhood. <laughs> There's dirty old men in my neighborhood, and they always say, hi. <laughs> they hang around day after day, sitting on lawn chairs on the sidewalk, listening to weirdly outdated music like Guns N' Roses and Bon Jovi. <laughs> they shoot the shit, yelling at one another with such gusto, like what they are saying might even cure cancer or kill each other's mothers. It's always intense. It's always self-involved. And the winner is always the one with the loudest voice. He's the king of the goddamn world, or at least king of my neighborhood. Every day when I walk past them, they stop what they are doing to stare. Their eyeballs scan my body lustfully, boring holes into my being, and I'm forced to bow my head while they let me know what they will do to me and what my place is in this world. And then they say, hi. <laughs> they are older than my father, and I'm sure they must know that never on this planet Earth would there be a manifestation of what they are suggesting. Sometimes they shout, Baby, are you married? Because obviously being possessed in such a way would be the proper and wholesome application of my assets. And I wonder if in 20 years, when I'm closer to their age, if old men will still say hi in the same way, or if my purpose will have expired, and if I might find some peace from being followed down the street. And I also wonder realistically, would I miss it? Every day, the men on my street greet me with this deep, visceral moan from their gut. Mmm, hello, baby. And then they say, God bless. <laughs> I'm not sure what, they, what God they think is blessing this situation. <laughs> I ask myself, what does any God have to do with the dirty thoughts in their mind? Venus, perhaps, or Aphrodite? Kama or Rati? I don't quite know how to say this. That's the sort of apologies. But I'm aware that to them, I am nothing more than competition. They are athletes of this sport, flexing their manly muscles and push, pushing forward their mighty crotch. They are like the matador and I'm the wild bull. No, they are the sniper and I'm the del delicate pawn. And besides, I'm irrelevant because they're just letting each other know that they could tame this wild beast to her back. You know, if they really wanted to, for they are the mighty omniscient men, and I am clearly lesser than. They own these streets, and after all, I've chosen to enter their room by default of existing and carelessly using their sidewalk. I suppose I might be asking for it, Jezebel. And anyway, I should probably just tune it out. Seriously, what am I getting so upset about? I mean, come on, they're only saying hi, after all, the dirty old men in the neighborhood. Next up is our poet of the year from last year. We get it for Arthur Russell. Jason, thanks for a great workshop. Uh, yeah. really uh, so I have so many ambitions. I've had so many ambitions all my life. One of them is to write a great epic. One of them is to write a great sonnet, Villanelle. 
I always wanted to write a really great short poem. I thought the guy writes really short poems. Great. And, uh, you know, like Ezra Pounds in the station in the metro, the apparition of these faces in a crowd, petals on a wet black bow. Something like that. So I keep working at it. This is my last attempt at that. It's called How I Go. I go like a flat rock skips. Ignorant of the hand that sent me, innocent of the silty bottom. was always write a blues. And you know, it's hard to translate musical blues to poetry blues because you don't have the music. But there's something about that thing where you repeat the line and you repeat the line and then you hit the second line and you come back that I always thought would be the greatest thing if you could write it as blues. So I wrote a blues. And it's called Parkness Blues. And I picked the name Parkness Blues because it sounded like the most genuine blues name that I can find. <clears throat> Harkness Blues. Hand under the sheets, I thought of you. Hand under your sweater, I thought of you. Hand in hand, we crossed the avenue, then let go to pass around a lamppost. Remember telling me your father's shoulders were uneven? Remember saying that his shadow was uneven too? You locked the door to your room for three days. You wrote me a note on rolling paper. Depression was your only luxury. Depression was your dark luxury. Depression gave you dominion over a dark land that you ruled from a dark balcony. Through time, I sent you vagrant mail. I sent you vagrant mail through idiot time. Through years, I loved you poorly and unevenly. I let you go, then disappear. I let you disappear. Fourteen years, you wrote a love poem to a heroin addict. Fourteen years, you lived a love poem to a heroin addict. Fourteen years, you fought for his benefit. He rolled away like a black nickel into a storm drain. You walked in the park and kicked cherry blossoms. In a wet park, you kicked the pillowy cherry blossoms. You looked up at a black locust tree and saw yourself suspended upside down. <clears throat> I imagined that our time would come. I always imagined that our time would come. I thought your ear would produce a black pearl. That was wrong. No bend or hitch can join us. You were my sofa, and you were my TV. You were my stiff, and you were my hollow. You were my baseball glove and my lock of hair. I would cry if I saw you. I am crying now. You are third number vote for poem of the month. Since Arthur can't win, I'm going to repeat the number now. What? <laughs> 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 
Uh, I like that line. I loved you poorly and unevenly. It's just terrible. <laughs> but maybe there are worse things. Like, uh, it's better than I'm loving someone jealously, right? Uh, by the way, I'm tweeting these lines if you want to. <laughs> Hashtag broke Bowie yeah, up. I just tweeted that one. Our next poet is Lauren Paris. Give it up for Lauren. Hi. Jessica Greenbaum for teaching that wonderful. <laughs> That's so nice. You like clap on this. Uh, I like that word. You, did you, say, you said quotient, right? Like quotient. It's like I loved you poorly and unevenly, and I left you with quotient. <laughs> my heart. <laughs> that was my terrible cobbling together those palms. Okay, next up, another Yop legend. Give it up for Richard Fine. Poetry reading straight again. 
into six eight-year-olds. When I was eight, I always wanted to be the bad guy. For I looked good in a black hat and fierce when spinning on the sidewalk. I bushwhacked the Lone Ranger a dozen times a day and lead Tonto on a scalp-taking warpath. I'd rescue my partner, Jesse James, from the posse and stare down Billy the Kid over who's big enough for this town. And when I look up into the sky, I become Emperor Ming the Merciless and blast Flash Gordon out of the universe. Now, six times that age, I still have dark imaginings. I wait at the corner of Ocean Avenue at 3 a.m., paralyzed before red light, paralyzed before a lifetime of red lights, 4 a.m. on an empty street, except for my car which points towards some impish odds. My foot hovers when, <clears throat> my hook, excuse me, my foot hovers when taps, when the taps the pedals, and my car revs and revs. So I can sally forth on my black horse wearing my bad guy Stetson and pilot merciless Ming's death rocket to wreak havoc on the cosmos. Only the light would turn green already. <laughs> the joys of outliving everybody. <laughs> if you live long enough, you outlive all the witnesses to your birth, barring contradicting old documents you could claim you're a lost heir to the English throne or that you were born in a Bethlehem stable. And so the second coming has already come. That is, if the only witnesses in that stable were heat-whoring jackasses, and as for the claim to the throne, only if Englishmen were even bigger asses, which they probably are. Ah, but you become the eye and the go-to witness to the birth of this current next generation that by now has reached middle age or even older. No one today would be interested in the story of your birth, especially since no one is left to share your earliest memories or has ever cradled infant you in their arms. It dawns on you that you are the last living eyewitness to your birth. Not really, though, for you were too much a nearsighted, self-absorbed crybaby to notice. <laughs> what if your mother lied and your father was just some unnamed thank you ma'am checkup? <laughs> it was all a grand joke. Your birth certificate was forged and your social security number stolen from some stillborn newborn. How do you know for sure what the real truth is? In short, who are you? Do you really know? Can you prove it? But what the hell? Now you can live your birthless fantasy, there being no naysaying witnesses left. You were born King of England or the Prince of Peace, and you're collecting Uncle Sam's Social Security to boot. <laughs> Our next poet is a former Poem of the Month winner in 2016. Give it up for Emily Blair.
know, or someone comes and you go out to eat and they change your house or something. Dream house. Recognize the linoleum. You've extended the entrance by 300 feet using only reclaimed membranes. The walls are painted with surprise exams by Benjamin Moore, gray green with a touch of ochre. Your updated brown kitchen cabinets have been replaced with sleek and stylish sea creatures. <laughs> A murky stream picks up the country casual theme. You brought your grandmother back from the dead to add extra drama to the family room. turns radiate joy and despair. You're already the favorite spot of these strange shaggy pets you didn't realize you had. <laughs> A rustic roller coaster runs through the dining room on its way to a mysterious composite city. People plunging from the rails before they can be saved animate the stairwell. <laughs> this room at the top is no longer your study, but an incredibly grand apartment inhabited by strangers. Be sure to check out the fixtures. Don't let them catch you in there. <laughs> and this is the best part. To create air in the master, you ripped up the flooring and replaced it with nothing. <laughs> Echoing the traditional brass lamp and weathered headboard, it gives the room a vintage feel. You can see your childhood bedroom lying directly below. Posters slowly peeling off the walls, car headlights tracing the perimeter of what you no longer quite recall. With a few throw pillows, it can be great for entertaining. Come on, you know you love it. Our dream decorating team got all their ideas from you. <laughs> Emily, next up is another Poem of the Month winner this year. I can't remember who was this year or last year. Give it up for Bill Livingston. I love stepping over people. It's like Occupy Brooklyn over here. Yeah. <laughs> I have two short ones. First one. Renovation. The ladder rested against the library, leaning like Huck Finn defiant against the grand old southern plantation in disrepair. Its opening hours fading, the leaves and the books within as dead and unloved as the leaves on the ground, rotting as the mountains crumble, as in an H.G. Wells story. Yet trees survive in the park that embraces the building like an estranged father. The leaves become earth after the curtain falls on their bright colors of autumn, when they look like startled peacocks about to be murdered. The Spanish tiles of the roof that protects the pages and pages are about to disappear under snow. Some days, keys to structures and mines are lost forever, and sometimes the sun sets in the wrong direction. <laughs> Yet another comparison. When glass breaks, the cracks move faster than 3,000 miles per hour. You see it happen in Mach 4 before you hear it. When the heart breaks, it's more like a slow death in the waiting room of a hospital. As you fill out the paperwork, vessels burst. Slipping away, you clutch your chest, drop the pen, close your eyes. You die, you slump, just as the nurse calls your name and the clipboard hits the ground. Thank you.
Thank you, Bill. We have another poem of the month. This is like a lineup of poems. You might as well not vote for these people. Uh, but if you do want to vote, 718-374-1953. Next up, we have Connor Crawford. Pause us, applied sidelong, tears catching firelight, portals into private worlds. Lately, the land surveyors have been baking apples into the floorboards while the kids scrimmage in the tall grass with the ticks. Supplant me, why don't you, down there? I've been slaying some fun in the kindling glowing. Burn the good driftwood, no, the good stuff. When you put scotch tape on frosted glass, you can see right through it. And believe you me, I saw right through it. The moon juice oozed loose through that shadowy doorway. It burned the mortar and blinded the stone angel up front. Pregnant, healing, over almanacs in the Sears catalog. On the red and white checkered tablecloth, licking your finger and picking up the crumbs. Your sustenance. A mattress tied to the roof of the car like a Christmas tree that's already losing its needles. The dog's drinking your water again. The mattress snapped the twine when we were crossing the old bridge and went flying to the river just so you know. It flew real good and slow, swirling down, giving a, bird to the, giving a bed to the birds and shade to the fish all the way down to the gulf, I suppose. We talked about fucking the whole ride up. Bucking under the white oak out back on the bench, maybe in moonlight, or right up against it, getting back your bark bit, stuck in your back. That voice just keeps getting deeper. Man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's so good. I want you to narrate my day. <laughs> I don't know if to get those. So that's something where that sounds good. Uh, Chris isn't here, is he? Chris no. Roberts? No. Jackie? Brian? Good. Well, there's two Poem of the Month winners that are not here. So the competition is less stiff. Uh, we have a Yawper of the Year in front of me. He's going to read next. Give it up for Ricardo Hernandez. amongst a gaggle of poets, spewing rhetorical devices as we're needed to be decisive in a sea of logic. We'll attempt to navigate the masses to rise up against their masters in the mix of showing classes how disastrous it's been living with classism. Set sail full of good intentions, yet made by our leadership when requesting leadership to make decisions earnestly. Expect to sail off without answers as the need to know returns tenfold and that's not us. 
Check the distance traveled while envisioning hell paved full of good intentions, too. And remind yourself, you are not only the tree from the roots, but the seed bursting through the shell. We were supernova explosions in the beginning, spreading our light in all directions. No prism to prime and altering trajectory or time manipulation. No full-time hypnosis swing in a pocket watch, all Benjamin-like behind the snow on screen. Our souls scream for your freedom on frequencies heard only by nature. The mother of, of untethered to technology. The mother of biology over time you see. The unmentionable of incomprehensible knowledge. Perhaps this is the knowledge you seek while rebelling within the republic of these capitalistic streets. Thank you. I really, it's always a gaggle of poets. You notice that? It's never like a gang of poets. A pride of poets? Yeah. Yeah. It's always a gaggle. I don't know why. Maybe it's not. Just like, by the way, do you have that, like a t shirt of that too? What? Yeah, the message? Oh, fuck out of here? Yeah. That was my friend's company. Okay. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Next up is our of the year from last year. Ricky was two years ago. Get up for Julie Hart. Moment 
the aphorism appears to require bald statements, so I rewrite all my questions in this form. <laughs> when someone asked me five years ago what I wanted to write, not memoir, I said, anything but memoir. <laughs> so that's biting me in the ass now. <laughs> As my mother taught me, there's the right way, and then there's the way you are doing it. <laughs> I'm in this creepy and weird place in my life where bubble wrap makes me think. <laughs> what did bubble wrap ever do to me? <laughs> Since we're all self-serving, at least serve yourself well. <laughs> I was never a good girl, but I was always an excellent animal. <laughs> Uh, I don't think people are going to have problems with bubble wrap. I'm looking right at her. She's acting like she doesn't know what I'm talking about. Whole morning popping bubble wrap. Unbelievable. Uh, we are on to the wait list. We have time for three more poets. I apologize if you can't read tonight. Uh, you can sign up right now on your phone. I mean, don't be disrespectful to the poets, but we do it secretly. Next poet, our next poet is Candy Wolf. And sorry, uh, let, let me just ask the people on the waitlist if you could just read one poem so we can all get out of here before uh, we fall asleep. Uh, not, not that your poems will be bad, just we're tired. I'm going to stop talking now. Candy, this is the best introduction ever. Give it up for Candy Wolf. that could were running out. 
I'm so grateful that my friend Sherry and I were given the chance to get out quickly and survive. My mother was my great supporter, as shock and fear got in my way. She said, you can't be afraid. You've got to live life. We must always remember to never forget as we continue to live life. Our second last reader is Nawal Maranovich. Give it up for Nawal. Failed. 
Farmers feared another hunger, fled their homesteads for Dublin, London, or America. Margaret Burr noticed that she could see the Blessed Mother's feet while she stood in the rain but did not get wet. She and her cousins did not pack themselves onto coffin ships. They stayed. They testified. The crops came back. Terror mis misinterpreted a bad year to a blight. Those who could came home. Most could not. Would they have seen the Blessed Virgin if they weren't terrified? Did she become? Did she come because of the terror? They watched her in the rain for two hours and reported a golden rose in her head. She never came to Brooklyn, where Irish blood built a bridge, buried itself into trestles, oxidized underneath the East River, burned with the caissons, turned itself American. Thank you, Laura. Props to you for using caissons. So you can tell by your laugh you have no idea what that is. You should learn more about the Brooklyn Bridge. And then you can hang with me and my friend. Uh, I apologize again if you didn't get to read tonight. It, it, you might not realize that it does pain me if you can't read. I would love it if everyone were to read, but then we would be here till midnight. Which probably none of us want, even those of you who didn't read. Uh, you should sign up now. You can't do that on your phone. We have a responsive mobile website. It's incredible. We spent a lot of money on that shit, so uh, take advantage of it. <laughs> sign up now. The clock starts now. Uh, the next yup important announcement is in October. It's not the second Monday as usual because that's Columbus Day. It is the week after, so it's the third Monday in October. And Emily Skillings will be leading that workshop. She is co-teaching a workshop on the poetics of space this fall, which sounds really interesting. Uh, Co-teaching that with Simone Tierney. Uh, a couple of announcements. One, please bring your stuff downstairs. It's becoming a growing problem. Not pointing any fingers, but goddamn. It's just like I had a dinner party and like no one cleaned up. Uh, take your plates and cups and stuff downstairs. And I'm gonna say shit again, but I just felt bad. Uh, take your stuff downstairs. Uh, two, vote for Poem of the Month. 718-374-1953. We will be at the Book Book Festival this Sunday, selling our t-shirts 30% off and our sweatshirts newly re-upped. And four, our early registration deadline is extended to this Sunday, $15 off in all our five-week workshops. That was an impressive checklist of announcements. Did you just like erupt into spontaneous applause today? <laughs> 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 Uh, thank you for coming. It's a great crowd. Uh, enjoy your evening. We'll be downstairs. Get some drinks. Bye bye. So there you have it. The Broken Poets Yop open mic for September 12th, 2016. Congrats to Tamara Lee for winning Poem of the Month for her poem, The Dirty Old Men in My Neighborhood. That'll teach you dirty old men in Tamara's neighborhood and everywhere else. For her victory, Tamara wins free admission to a future yacht and a spot in our Poem of the Year Smackdown coming on December 12th at 61 Local. Note that our next yacht is 
not on the second Monday in October, but on October 17th, because October 10th is Columbus Day. The YAWP on October 17th will be led by Emily Skillings. She will teach the workshop and kick off the open mic as usual. Thanks again for listening. For more information about the Brooklyn Poets YAWP, go to brooklynpoets.org. We hope to see you on October 17th.